This PBS NewsHour podcast is supported in part by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Their scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. Find out more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. With only a few weeks until the first votes of the 2024 presidential campaign, one Republican candidate is on the rise while another's campaign seems to be fading. Our Politics Monday team is here for a check-in on the race. That's Amy Walter of the Cook Political Report with Amy Walter and Tamara Keith of NPR. Merry Christmas to you both. So let's talk about 2024. Nikki Haley is looking for an upset win that could derail Donald Trump's path to the nomination. New Hampshire could be her best and perhaps only chance. And look at this St. Anselm College poll. She is 30 percent to Donald Trump's 44 percent. What that poll doesn't show is that support for her has doubled since their last poll, while Donald Trump is holding steady. When you look at this poll, what do you see? Well, what you see is this is exactly as you pointed out, a state that is really ripe for an upset in the mold of somebody like Nikki Haley. Remember, New Hampshire is a state that has uh, the opportunity for independent voters or people who don't identify by party to participate. So more independent leaning, more moderate. This is also a state that is just overall a little more Trump skeptical than many of the other states, uh, especially those that come early, like in Iowa or even a South Carolina. The challenge for Nikki Haley, though, is that once you get past New Hampshire, finding opportunities for that coalition of hers to expand is really, really difficult. The primaries, uh, some primaries don't allow independents to vote, places like California, for example, uh, with a lot of delegates at stake. Um, and the kinds of moderate, college-educated voters who are attracted to Nikki Haley those voters, again, most prevalent in New Hampshire, that thins out a lot once you get past that state. And Tam, based on your reporting, is that something that Nikki Haley can even do right now, expand her coalition beyond the college-educated, professional, uh, mostly suburban voters? That is a real challenge for her. Uh, certainly, if someone like Chris Christie were to drop out, those voters that uh, currently support him would likely move to a Nikki Haley. But if someone like Ron DeSantis were to drop out, those are voters who are much more Trumpy. Those are those are voters who are looking for a message uh, that uh, is about isolation from the world, about uh, building walls uh, along the southern border. A, a message that is much more like Trump's message and not as much like Nikki Haley's message. Um, those voters certainly are more likely to go towards Trump. So the challenge for her really is um, expanding her coalition. Uh, and it's just not, you know, given the divisions in the Republican Party, um, the Republican Party is more Trumpy than it is like this traditional, more moderate, uh, fiscally conservative Republican in, in a traditional mold that Nikki Haley represents. Tim mentioned Ron DeSantis, and the New York Times is out with this deeply reported piece looking at his failure to launch despite all of the early hype, and it includes details like this one. Ryan Tyson, Mr. DeSantis's longtime pollster and one of his closest advisors, has privately said to multiple people that they are now at the point in the campaign where they need to, quote, make the patient comfortable a phrase evoking hospice care. Is there any coming back from this for Ron DeSantis? Uh, 
Listen, his only hope right now is that what we're seeing in the polls is not actually correct, especially Iowa. And look, there is the possibility that Nikki Haley comes in second in Iowa and not Ron DeSantis. That is not out of the realm of possibility, especially right now, given her rise. And in fact, when you talked about broadening her coalition, how she does in Iowa and where she does better or worse is going to tell us about how likely it is that she can put a coalition together that's a, a little more regionally um, creative, let's say, it can break her out of this New Hampshire mold. But for DeSantis, the challenge has, has been that he, too, is having a ceiling problem. He is unable to find this mix of voters who both want somebody like Donald Trump, but also want to move beyond Donald Trump. And he's never been able to really capture that. The other thing that this campaign did early on was decide that they were going to basically outsource all of the things that a campaign traditionally does, door knocking, um, interacting with voters. All of that went through a super PAC, not through the campaign. Why does that matter? Because you never really got the sense that there was a grassroots movement for Ron DeSantis. These were paid canvassers. These were people that, you know, they found uh, from, not because these people said, I love Ron DeSantis necessarily, but because the super PAC was paying them to mm. do that. So I think that piece really got to the heart of the, the sell of Ron DeSantis being a big part of the challenge. And Tam, drawing on your, your Biden world sources, how are they responding to this Colorado Supreme Court ruling that disqualifies Donald Trump uh, from being president again on the grounds that he was involved in the insurrection, also removing him from that state's primary ballot? How, how is the Biden White House, the Biden campaign, really the Biden campaign, how are they thinking about addressing this moving forward? You know, you're getting radio silence from them on pretty much anything that involves Donald Trump's challenges, his legal challenges, uh, whether that be the, the various indictments and court cases or these uh, challenges to even appearing on the ballot. Uh, the, the Biden campaign feels that those sorts of stories are getting a huge amount of attention. Uh, in fact, they worry that those stories are getting all of the attention and, and sort of sucking the oxygen out of the campaign, uh, not allowing uh, opponents of Trump in, in the primary to really gain footing, and also not allowing uh, voters to learn about the things that Trump is saying out on the trailer, the things that he's promising that he would do as president. So um, what the Biden campaign is doing is trying their very best to draw attention, to draw contrast to things like uh, the, the former president's position on the Affordable Care Act or uh, language he's used describing his political opponents as vermin or the fact that he wants to seek retribution. All of this, that's what they're trying to draw attention to. Um, and, and they're sort of letting uh, letting the natural order and the news cycle uh, put attention on Trump's legal challenges, whether that be the Colorado case or others. Well, in the time that remains on this last Politics Monday of 2023, yes. I'd like to ask you both for a story or a theme from this past year that affected our politics in a new or significant way. Amy, starting with you. Well, we, uh, we're talking a little bit about the courts here, the Supreme Court's role in the, the presidency and what that election could look like. But it's not just the presidency. It's also control of Congress it may come down to what the courts decided, the Supreme Court being one, also some of the state courts on redistricting. And when you have a five-seat majority, as Republicans have, any single movement, one seat here, a couple seats there, could be the difference between Republicans staying in power or Democrats gaining power. Tim? 
Well, and what Amy says sort of dovetails to what I was thinking about, which was uh, this past week, the Wisconsin State Supreme Court uh, made a decision uh, throwing out the state's uh, uh, legislative district lines. Now, that is likely to be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. But what stands out to me from this moment is there was a race for state Supreme Court uh, for a position on the court uh, earlier this year. And abortion was a huge issue in that race because there was this uh, oldie time abortion law on the books that um, could go before the state Supreme Court. And so there was a race that was pretty much entirely focused on abortion, a little bit about uh, redistricting, but mostly about abortion. And and that election had consequences. Uh, the the uh, judicial, the judge who was backed by Democrats who aligned uh, uh, in, in favor of abortion rights ended up winning, winning handily in this state that's pretty closely divided. Um, and that could affect the balance of power in the state legislature and other things. Uh, what stands out to me here is that again and again throughout this year, we have seen examples of abortion being on the ballot, whether that be literally or or just in in typically minor races that people wouldn't even pay attention to. Um, and pretty much every time it has fallen uh, towards uh, voters wanting to continue to have access to the, the that health care procedure. Tamara Keith and Amy Walter, thank you so much for joining us on this last Politics Monday of 2023. We'll see you back here next Monday for the first Politics Monday <laughs> of 2024. Take care. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.